Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. I was sitting on a plane to Dallas last week when I went into the folder that I have in my carry bag to pull out something to read. Normally I get on my iPad and I'm reading a book on my iPad or something, but I said, you know, every once in a while I'll stick a little magazine article or a newsletter in my reading list in my folder. And I had this one in my folder for several months and I never read it. I said, why don't I read this thing? Why did I put it in here if I wasn't going to read it? So I pulled it out and it's an article in a newsletter put out by Hillsdale College. It's an article which is actually of a speech done by Abigail Schreier. And the title of the speech that she gave in this newsletter is called Gender Ideology Run Amok. I read this thing and I was shocked as to how succinct Abigail Schreier was in describing the problem our culture is facing right now, particularly young girls. Now, for those of you who don't know, Abigail Schreier is a journalist. She's an author. She has degrees from Columbia College, the University of Oxford, and also a law degree from Yale Law School. So she is very well qualified She's written in several journals and several newspapers and magazines and these kind of things. She is also the author of a book called Irreversible Damage, The Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters. I personally have not read this book yet, but if the book is in any way uh, parallel to what I'm about to read you, it's going to be a book well worth reading because she really sums up the issue in this short speech which I'm going to read and comment on as we go through here in this program. It is an incredibly important article or speech she made. She made it uh, on April 27, 2021 at Franklin, Tennessee at the Hillsdale College National Leadership Seminar. So let's get right into it. And for those of you just tuning in, you're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turk, on the American Family Radio Network. Our website is crossexamined.org. That's crossexamined with a D on the end of it.org. And uh, this podcast, if you're listening to it in podcast, is called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Those listening on the radio, if you want to hear this program again, just look for the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist podcast. Okay, here here is Abigail Schreier's speech from April 27th, 2021. In 2007, America had one pediatric gender clinic. Today, there are hundreds. Testosterone is readily available to adolescents from places like Planned Parenthood and Kaiser, often on a first visit, even without a therapist's note. How did we get to this point? How is it that we are all supposed to pretend that the only way you can know I'm a woman is if I tell you my pronouns? How did we get to an America in which a 13-year-old in the state of Washington can begin gender-affirming therapy without her parents' consent? How did we get to an America in which a 15-year-old in Oregon can undergo top surgery, 
elective double mastectomy without her parents' permission. And what can we do about it? What can we do about it? Okay, this is Abigail Schreier. So here's what we can do about it. How did we get to this point? What can we do about it? Here's what she says. To understand how we got to this point, it is useful to begin by considering gender dysphoria, the feeling of severe discomfort in a person's biological sex. Gender dysphoria is certainly real. It is also exceedingly rare. It afflicts about 0.01% of the population, most of whom are male. All right, let's do some math here. 0.01% of the population is one out of every 10,000 people, and predominantly it affects males. So generally one out of every 10,000 males, although there, there are some females that are affected by gender dysphoria. So it's very rare. She goes on. For nearly 100 years of diagnostic history, gender dysphoria typically began in early childhood between the ages of two and four and usually involved a boy who insisted that he was not a boy but a girl. Children are, children are afflicted, or sorry, children afflicted are insistent, consistent, and persistent in the feeling that they are in the wrong body. It is by all accounts excruciating. I've talked to many transgender adults most of them biological males who describe the relentless chafe. That's a word meaning too restrictive. She, she, you're, you're feeling too restrictive. You're, they're, 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 who, they, she says, who describe the relentless, relentless chafe of a body that feels all wrong. Historically, this has been the classic presentation of gender dysphoria. When these children were left alone, when no one intervened medically, or encourage what we today call social transition, over 70% of them naturally outgrew their gender dysphoria. Actually, I think it's over 80%, but she's probably being conservative here. Again, this is Abigail Schreier's speech. So the vast majority of, of young people that start with this gender dysphoria at a young age grow out of it, is what she's saying. Most of those who outgrew it became gay men. Those who did not outgrow it became what used to be known as transsexuals. They did not believe they were women, but they felt most comfortable presenting themselves as females. Today, however, we don't leave these children alone. All right, let me stop right here. Ladies and gentlemen, if, if you have children, listen up. This is going to be shocking. In fact, the rest of the program is going to be shocking on this point. Because if you have children and you're sending them off to public school, even if you're not sending them to public school, this is all over social media, you need to be aware of this. So she says today, however, we don't leave these children alone. Instead, the moment children seem not to be perfectly feminine or perfectly masculine, masculine we label them as trans kids. Teachers encourage them to reintroduce themselves to their classes with new names and new pronouns. Time out. Time out. Did you, hear, did you hear that sentence? Teachers encourage them to reinduce themselves to their classes with new names and new programs. Ladies and gentlemen, since when do teachers have the authority to do such a thing? Without parental consent. Where are we getting this from? What happened to reading, writing, and arithmetic? Kids can't read. They can't do math. And we're teaching them about new pronouns? All right. I'm going to talk about this later, hopefully. Let me keep reading Abigail Schreier. We take them to therapists or doctors, nearly all, nearly all of whom practice so-called affirmative care. 
meaning they think it is their job to affirm the diagnosis of gender dysphoria and help the children medically transition. The typical first step in treatment administered to these kids is puberty blockers, which shut down part of the pituitary gland that directs the release of hormones catalyzing puberty. The most common of these drugs is Lupron, whose original purpose was the chemical castration of sex offenders. To this day, the FDA has never approved this drug for halting healthy puberty. What? What? Did you? Really? I, I didn't know this. We're giving kids Lupron, which we used to give sex offenders to chemically castrate them, and the FDA has never approved it for healthy puberty, to, to halt healthy puberty. Why would the FDA approve such a thing? Why would you want to halt healthy puberty? Is this madness or what? Again, I'm reading from a speech done by Abigail Schreier several months ago. She goes on to say, well, actually, let me pause here because we're coming up on a break. And I want to mention that we're going to be... Uh, talking about why Christianity is true coming up here this Monday night, January 31st, University of Kentucky at Lexington, and then the next night, February 1st, University of Louisville in Louisville, Kentucky. Both start at 7 p.m. If you're in the area, it's open to the public. It's free. It also will be live-streamed, Lord willing, live-streamed on our YouTube channel, our app, our website, our Facebook channel at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, the presentation goes to nine. Normally, the questions go longer. So tune in for I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist this Monday and Tuesday night. Back in two minutes. Don't go anywhere. If you're low on the FM dial looking for national public radio, go no further. We're actually going to tell you the truth here. That's our intent anyway. You're not going to hear gender ideology run amok on national public radio. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turek, on the American Family Radio Network. And we're talking about a stunning speech that Abigail Schreier gave. In my view, it's stunning anyway. I didn't know much of this. And she, she succinctly puts the problem into perspective so well. Uh, she Anyway, she gave this speech back in April uh, to an event at Hillsdale College. And we're going through it. And we will put a link uh, on our website to this article. We will also have a full transcript of this that you can read of this podcast, as we do for all our podcasts. For those of you that don't know, our events coordinator, Ms. Heath Mackey, does a great job pulling all the uh, notes together and the transcript together for these podcasts. So if you want to see this speech written out, you can either go to the link or you can go to the transcript of the podcast because it's very well done. And we're talking about the idea that we are, as a society now, encouraging young people, particularly young girls, to make life-altering decisions, even without parental consent, to basically chemically castrate themselves, to become sterile in the name of, of uh, this gender ideology, which is running amok, as Abigail Schreier puts it. Anyway, we just got done talking about the drug they use. They used to use to castrate chemically castrate sex offenders. Now they're giving this to kids. And the FDA has never approved it for this use. Here is Abigail Schreier continuing. 
One has to wonder why a parent or a doctor would take measures to stop a child's puberty, given that even a child with genuine gender dysphoria would most likely outgrow that condition if left alone. Remember, she just a few minutes ago pointed out that 70, really more than 80% of kids outgrow this just by going through puberty. She continues, some argue that it is traumatizing to let children go through the puberty of the sex to which they do not wish to belong. But in many cases, puberty seems to have helped children overcome gender dysphoria. The truth is that there is no satisfying answer uh, given that scientists have no way of predicting which children will outgrow the dysphoria on their own and which won't. Proponents of, and she has in quotes, affirmative care, unquote, also argue that allowing puberty to, to, to occur is dangerous because suicide rates for trans-identified youth and trans adults are very high. Therefore, they say, we need to start treating children with gender dysphoria as soon, as soon and as dramatically as possible. Yet, there are no good long-term studies indicating that puberty, uh, puberty blockers cure suicidality or even improve mental health. Nor are there studies that show puberty blockers are safe or reversible when used in this manner. Now, she doesn't make this point, but Dr. Paul McHugh, psychiatrist at uh, John Hopkins University, makes this point that the suicide rate for people, these are adults, after gender reassignment surgery is still 19 times higher than the general public. 19 times higher after such surgery. Now, there is a honeymoon period where people, where, where people apparently feel better, but then as the years go on, the problem they realize is not solved, and many of them regret what they've done. Anyway, the suicide rate is 19 times higher, and you don't even have any data that if you do this to children, it's going to cure the problem. It doesn't cure the problem in adults. Why would you expect it to cure the problem in children? Look, the problem is psychological, it's not physical. You don't treat a psychological problem with surgery. This is me now, this is not Abigail Schreier. You don't treat a psychological problem with surgery, you treat it with psychiatry. Here's a, here's a parallel, and this is what Dr. Paul McHugh, the, 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 uh, the psychiatrist I just mentioned, Dr. Paul McHugh, this is the parallel he gives, that gender dysphoria is like anorexia. They both involve a mismatch between a person's mind and their body. In anorexia, there's a mismatch between a person's mind and body. The mind is mistaken about the body. It, it, it thinks the body is overweight. When it's not, it's dangerously underweight. So in such cases, we don't affirm the mistake of the mind that the person is making about the body. We don't give them liposuction because they mistakenly think they are overweight. No, we seek to fix the mind to solve the problem in the body. And it seems that likewise, we should seek to fix the mind in the problem, or we, we should seek to fix the mind in someone who experiences gender dysphoria to treat the mismatch with the body. We're, we shouldn't give an anorexic liposuction, and we shouldn't give somebody experiencing gender dysphoria a, a, a operation which attempts to change their Biology, but you can't change your biology. I'm sorry. These are just the facts. You can change your mind. You can't change your biology. And as Ben Shapiro is famous for saying, facts don't care about your feelings. You can't change the facts about biology. Biology is what it is. You can change your mind. 
You can't change your biology. And by the way, this is generally the difference between liberals and conservatives. Liberals want to try and change reality to fit their behavior, whereby conservatives want to change their behavior to fit reality. Now, liberals may be well-intended, but it's a fool's errand to try and change reality. You can't change the reality of your biology. You can change your mind, but you can't change your biology. Sorry, those are just the facts. Anywhere, Abigail Schreier goes on. She says, What we do know is that puberty blockers prevent the development of secondary sex characteristics, sexual maturation, and bone density. Indeed, because of the inhibition of bone density and other risks, doctors don't like to keep children on puberty blockers for more than two years. We also know that in almost every case, when a child's healthy puberty is medically arrested, placing the child out of step with his or her peers, that child proceeds to cross-sex hormones. And when puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones are administered to a girl, she becomes infertile. Did you hear that, parents? She becomes infertile. She may also have permanent sexual dysfunction given that her sex organs never reach adult maturity. Given this, says Abigail Shire, the claims made by so many doctors and gender activists today that these medical transition measures for children are safe and reversible, that they are a pause button without serious downsides, are not only dishonest, but destructive. We would not accept this source of glib or, excuse me, we would not accept this sort of glib salesmanship in any other area of medicine. Really, why why are we accepting this in this area of medicine? What has us so concerned about political correctness and woke ideology that we're not going to call the truth the truth? Why why are we not going to say, stop doing this to to our young girls? We need to stop this from happening to our young girls. We need to speak up. Here's the next part of her speech. Again, this is by Abigail Schreier, the author of the book, Irreversible Damage. And this section is titled Trans Identification Among Teenage Girls. This this section really blew me away. I didn't know this. Here's what she says. As I mentioned, Abigail Schreier, as I mentioned, for the nearly 100 year history of scientific study of gender dysphoria, it has been diagnosed almost exclusively in young children and mostly in boys, but over the and mostly in boys, this, this gender dysphoria, not girls. She says, but over the last decade, large numbers of teenage girls have begun to claim they have gender dysphoria. Prior to 2012, in fact, there was no scientific literature on gender dysphoria arising in teenage girls. None. Zero. Zip. Nada. Ten years ago, there was nothing. She goes on to say, Dr. Lisa Littman, then a Brown University public health researcher, used the phrase, quote, rapid onset gender dysphoria, unquote, to refer to the subsequent sudden spike in transgender identification among teenage girls with no childhood history of gender dysphoria. This spike is not unique to America. We see it across the Western world. To offer just one statistic, There has been a decade-to-decade increase of over 4,400% in the number of teenage girls seeking treatment in the United Kingdom's National Gender Clinic. Across the West, teen girls are now leading the demographic claiming to have gender dysphoria. 
All right, stop right here. Remember she said this for years only, only arose in mostly men and it was one out of every 10,000 men. And now it's rampant among women. She goes on, young girls actually. She goes on, what is behind this social contagion? The spread of ideas, emotions, and behaviors through peer influence. One more instance of teenage girls sharing and spreading their pain. There is a long history of social contagion with this demographic. Anorexia and bulimia are also spread this way. And we know that teen girls today are in the midst of the worst mental health crisis on record with the highest rates of anxiety, self-harm, and clinical depression. All right, let me stop right there. Part of the reason for this is the church. We have not been a safe place for young people struggling with these issues. Uh, we have not given young people the evidence as to why Christianity is true. We've not addressed these issues from the pulpit. We've not addressed these issues from youth groups. We've not addressed these issues in small groups. We think if we put our head in the sand, it's all going to go away. No, it's not. Meanwhile, there's a 4,400% increase among girls in the UK, and probably the same number is true here, struggling with this issue. This needs to be brought to the forefront. That's one of the reasons we're doing this podcast. She goes on, Abigail Schreier again. The teen girls susceptible to this social contagion are the same high-anxiety, depressive girls who struggle socially in adolescence and tend to hate their bodies. Add to that a school environment where you can achieve status and popularity by declaring a trans identity. Add to that the teenage temptation to stick it to mom. Also add the intoxicating influence of social media where trans activists push the idea that identifying as trans and starting a course of testosterone will cure a girl's problems. Put those together and you have a fast spreading social phenomenon. I've spoken to families at top girls schools who attest that 15, 20, or in one case, 30% of the girls in their daughter's seventh grade class identify as trans. When you see figures like that, you're witnessing a social contagion in action. There is no other reasonable explanation. Did you hear that? We went from one in 10,000 affecting mostly boys at a young age, to now in some schools, or in her case, she mentions one school, 3,000 in 10,000, and they're almost all girls. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? What can we do about this? How can you protect your young daughter from this craze? We're going to talk about it and a lot more. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network website, crossexamined.org. Crossexamined with a D on the end of it, .org. We're back in two minutes. We've gone from 1 in 10,000 to, in some cases, 3,000 in 10,000? 3 out of every 10? How does this happen? You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turek, on the American Family Radio Network. We're talking about gender ideology run amok, particularly among young girls. And we're reading from a speech that Abigail Schreier gave several months ago at a Hillsdale College event. And uh, we're right in the middle of it, so I'm just going to continue. She just got done talking about how, in some cases, you have 30% of the girls in a 7th grade class identifying as trans. And she says this. 
These teen girls are in a great deal of pain. Almost all of them have at some point dealt with an eating disorder, engaged in cutting, or been diagnosed with other mental health comorbidities. And now they're being allowed to self-diagnose gender dysphoria by a medical establishment that has decided that it's that that its job is to affirm and agree with trans identified adolescents let me stop right here how, how, how did medical doctors think that what some young girl thinks in her head is the right diagnosis that oh okay since you think you're a boy you really are or you think you're trans you really what how did we get to this point where the kids are self-diagnosing a problem and the doctors are too afraid to say, no, you're going to grow out of that, or no, that's not the right path for you, or no, that's going to be harmful to you? How did we get to this point? Abigail Schreier goes on. She says, and the title of this section is Turning a Blind Eye. She says this, you may not know the name Kira Bell. She is a young woman in the UK, very troubled in adolescence, who was rushed to transition in her teen years and came to regret it. She underwent double mastectomy and spent several years or spent years on testosterone only to realize that her problem had never been gender dysphoria. She sued the UK's National Gender Clinic and last December, so this would be, I guess, December 2020, after the High Court of Justice examined her case and the claims of similarly situated plaintiffs, she won. The court examined the medical protocols applied to Kira Bell, protocols identical to the ones we have in the United States, and was horrified that a young girl had been allowed to consent to begin a process of eliminating her future fertility and sexual function at an age 15 when she could not possibly have have gauged that loss. Hailed as a landmark case by the Times of London, The Economist, and even The Guardian, which is left-wing, Bell's victory was widely viewed as a serious condemnation of the effort to fast-track teen girls to gender transition. One of the appalling things the court noted was that the National Gender Clinic, over there in the UK, had been unable to show any psychological improvements in the adolescents it had treated with transitioning hormones. Ladies and gentlemen, did you hear that? They had no scientific evidence it was going to improve their psychology. None, and they did it anyway. She goes on, Abigail Schreier does. If, as I suspect, you haven't read or heard about the Kira Bell case, that's because America's legacy media decided to pretend the case didn't happen. Similarly, they continue to ignore or dismiss the stories of the thousands of detransitioners, young women who underwent medical transition, later regretted it, and attempted to reverse course. A lot of the treatments these girls have undergone are permanent, but they, but they do what they can to try and reverse some of the, effect, some of the effects. Thus it, thus, it is that in the United States, this crisis among teenage girls gets treated as a political issue, a conservative issue, rather than a medical one. And so perhaps the greatest medical scandal of our time is dismissed as a conservative preoccupation. Well, that would be a tragedy. Now medicine about young girls, about sterility about young girls, about hormone treatments for young girls, about teachers stealthily trying to get young girls to take 
even double mastectomies and taking hormones to transition themselves, that that's now a political issue. That those are the conservatives trying to prevent us from doing this, so we better do it quietly and make sure we get it done. This is demonic, ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, as the Apostle Paul said in the passage that everyone reads at their wedding, but nobody obeys. 1 Corinthians 15 about love. He points out in so many words that love is not approval. Love always protects. Love always perseveres. Love rejoices in the truth. And this kind of nefarious activity, secretly trying to transition girls, is not love. Anyway, let me ask you this, ladies and gentlemen. Why don't we let kids drive or drink or vote or marry when they're 15? Because they're still developing and they don't have the skills or wisdom to make decisions of such consequence. Oh, yeah, sometimes they get their permit at 15, but we're right next to them, right? We know they're too young for this. What could be of more consequence than changing your body forever to the point of sterility? Look, when you're a teenager, you're in a storm of flux, a storm of change. You're tempted to follow a heart of flux and change without any wisdom or without any experience. You'd need more maturity to make these decisions. The teachers and activists who are trying to facilitate kids to make such changes without parental consent, in my view, should be prosecuted for child endangerment. This is, this is irreversible damage they're doing to these young people. Look, hearts and minds and feelings change as the data show. The vast majority of these kids grow out of this idea. And yet we think it's best to transition them without parental consent. Even with parental consent, it's child endangerment. Get the kid through 18 and then see what happens. Then Abigail Schreier goes on to say this. No discussion of gender ideology can ignore the ongoing movement to eradicate girls in the women's sports and protective spaces. Many or most of the people pushing this are not transgender themselves, but are activists. They are energized and they seem to be winning. The movement promotes dangerous bills like the Equality Act, which would make it illegal ever to distinguish between biological men and women and thus to exclude a biological male from a girl's sports team or a women's protective space, whether it be a restroom, locker room, or prison. Yet we have these laws now in California and the state of Washington, and as you might imagine, one result is that hundreds of biological male prisoners Many of them violent felons have applied to transfer to women's units. Have we lost our minds, ladies and gentlemen? Yeah, we have. Abigail Schreier goes on to say, for activists pushing this, it is not enough to create unisex bathrooms, a separate category for trans-identified athletes, or separate safe zones in prisons for trans-identified biological men. No, they are working to abolish all women's only spaces, and they want to abolish them now, unquote. Okay, friends, so much for uh, tolerance, inclusion, and diversity. This is, if you don't see it our way, we're going to put you in a dangerous position. Women, young girls, sorry, the men, as long as they claim to be women, they can come into your spaces. That's really what's going on here. This is, I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, I'm just going to call it what it is. It's madness. All right? Oh, you're a bigot, Frank. No, that's not bigotry. It's just biology, okay? 
We're, we're recognizing science. We're recognizing biological differences. And if you can't recognize biological differences, I, I don't know what to tell you. I, I don't know what to say to you. I'm sorry. This is why when people say there's no evidence for God, I ask them, is there any evidence for gender? If they say no, I say, I can't help you with the God issue then. If you can't look in the mirror and know the difference between a man and a woman, or look, just look at yourself. And you, if you're going to deny what's plainly in front of you, how are you ever going to acknowledge an invisible God? You're not. Abigail Schreier goes on. The common thread running through these topics is that the truth is being obscured by gender ideology. Lies are told about the risks of the transition treatments administered to young children, both to play down the dangers of those treatments and to exaggerate the degree, the degree to which those treatments are known to be helpful. Lies are told about the researchers and journalists who attempt to report on the crisis of social contagion among teenage girls undergoing transition treatments. And lies are told about the movement to eradicate women's protective spaces. The gender ideology behind these lies is a sibling of critical race theory. While critical race activists are teaching kids that they are largely defined by their skin color, gender activists are teaching kids that they are that, that there are a great many genders and that the only and that and that only they know their true gender. And just as families who object to racial indoctrination in schools are told that their denials of racism are proof of racism, young women who object to biological males participating in girls' sports are told that their objectives are proof of their transphobic bigotry. Okay, this is absolute nonsense, obviously. That someone is bigoted because they don't want a man competing against a woman in women's sports, or they don't want a man in a woman's locker room, or they don't want a man in a woman's bathroom. This is not bigotry, it's biology. And by the way, transgenderism presupposes fixed genders. Why do I say that? Because anyone experiencing gender dysphoria has to understand the two genders to know that there's a mismatch. They have to understand what a man is and what a woman is in order to know that they have a mismatch. For example, if I'm a man and I really think I'm a woman, I have to have some idea of what a man is and some idea of what a woman is in order to know I have this disconnect or this mismatch between my mind and my body. And in order for me to make the so-called transition, I would also have to have some idea of what a man is and some idea of what a woman is in order to make the transition. Why would people get surgery if there's no difference between men and women? They're trying to somehow change their sex to change their biology by getting the surgery because they know there's a difference, a biological difference between men and women. Otherwise, there would be no disconnect. There'd be no mismatch. There'd be no dysphoria. So it presupposes fixed genders. The other problem, as you well know, is that there's a bit of a civil war inside the LGBT community. Why? Because if the T gets their way to say there are no genders and they're totally fluid, then the L, the G, and the B don't exist. There's no such thing as lesbian sex or gay sex or, or being a bisexual. Why? Because if there are no genders, there's no such thing as same-sex behavior. There's no such thing as same-sex marriage. There's no, by the way, there's no such thing as a lesbian, a gay, or a bisexual. Because there's no way to define them. In fact... If there are no genders, there are no women. And if there are no women, there are no women's rights. There are no advances in women's rights because there are no women. This is completely contradictory to reality. And yet people are blindly retweeting this stuff like, oh yeah, I'm woke, yeah, oh yeah, I'm 
I'm behind all this. Well, you don't really care about girls then. You don't really care about kids then. You don't really care about the truth then because you're too worried about somebody unfriending you on social media. Grow up. Sorry. Next time I'll tell you my real thoughts. Back in two minutes. I'm Frank Turk. Ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about a speech that Abigail Schreier gave to a Hillsdale College event back in April, and I want to get through the entire thing, so I'm going to jump right back into it. She was just talking about the dogmas that are put forth in our K-12 schools, so she says this, these mendacious dogmas have corrupted our K-12 schools, our universities, and our legacy media, as well as our scientific journals and our medical accrediting organizations, the American Academy of Pediatrics, the American Medical Association, and the American Psychiatric Association, etc., To give you a sense of how far things have gone, I was informed late last year by a member of the National Association of Science Writers, an association of journalists with scientific backgrounds, that a member of the association's online forum had been expelled for mentioning my book on the transgender social social contagion among teenage girls. The book is called Irreversible Damage by Abigail Schreier. He hadn't even read my book, says Schreier. He just mentioned that it sounded interesting, and for that he was banned as transphobic. Wow, so much for having a a scientific discussion of the facts here, huh? Let's just ban this guy. Similarly, endocrinologists, psychiatrists, pediatricians, and researchers who are concerned about the, the risks of gender interventions report that they struggle today to get their research published. And public and private funding of research is almost entirely restricted to researchers who promote gender transition and downplay the risks. There are phalanxes of young doctors now, many of them in pediatrics and child psychiatry, who are open about their beliefs that their primary job is social justice. Don't you want one of those surgeons coming to you who's really concerned about social justice rather than doing the surgery? This is me, not Abigail Schreier. She goes on, they are unreservedly or they unreservedly celebrate the increase in transitioning treatment of young people and are inexcusably complacent about the risks of these treatments. The Washington Post recently quoted some of these doctors to the effect that puberty blockers are fully reversible, which is not something that any doctor can, any honest doctor can claim to know. We simply don't have the data to know whether puberty blockers are fully fully physically reversible when applied to halt healthy puberty, and they are certainly not psychologically reversible. We're seeing a startling politicization, easy for me to say, of medicine and science, which is symptomatic of a larger woke corruption of American society. And my, my words now... The corruption of American society is largely due to the church not being the church, not being involved, separating ourselves from these issues, talking all about anti-intellectual matters and not engaging people with the truth. All right, back to Abigail Schreier. Now, there's something I make a point of saying whenever I speak, and I say it for the simple reason that it is true. Transgender adults are some of the uh, the soberest and kindest people I have met in my work as a journalist. Many of them seem to have been helped by transition and are leading admirable and productive lives. They have no desire to harm women or to punish transition or to push transition on children. Yeah, punish would be a good word. 
The gender ideology activists do not represent them. Now, this is me now. I appreciate Ms. Schreier's observations about transgender adults here, but that's not really relevant to her case. It can also be perceived as pandering, that she's trying to make sure that people know she has nothing against people who have had sex reassignment surgery. It's kind of like saying, oh, oh, please don't call me a bigot because you see, I have transsexual friends and I find them very nice people. Well, first of all, it's not bigotry to think a particular behavior is wrong or harmful. In fact, it's loving to say, don't do this because it will harm you. Remember, love always protects. Love rejoices in the truth. But secondly, whether you like or dislike people who identify as transgender or whether they are generally good people or not, doesn't change whether or not your arguments are good. Someone can actually be an awful person, but still be right. Conversely, Conversely, someone can be a wonderful person and still be wrong. The behavior or character of the person does not necessarily determine the truth of what they are saying. So I understand her reason for putting this in, but it doesn't affect her argument one way or the other. And third, when she says they're living great lives, she's not accounting for the suicide rate among those who get sex reassignment surgery. Usually about 10 years in, people have incredible regret. That's why you have to go to... to uh, sexregret.com sexregret.com if you want to learn more about people who regret what they've done and how you can get support there sexregret.com now back to abigail schreier she says this my understanding of freedom includes a belief that society should allow adults to make consequential decisions about their lives which includes choosing to undergo sex reassignment surgery and Whenever I am asked by a transgender adult, I use his or her chosen name and pronouns. This seems to me to be the courteous and right thing to do. But, and this is a big but, I never lie. This means I never say, and I will never say, that trans women are women. I think reciting this lie leads, as we are seeing, to, to unjust and dangerous consequences for women and girls. It is not courteous or right to parrot these lies. It is the cowardly surrender of women's welfare to the woke gods, and it is wrong. All right, good for Mrs. Schreier. I agree with her on that, but I would respectfully ask her, if you think it's wrong to lie to people by calling trans women women, then why would you call them by female pronouns? Isn't that a lie too? It seems to me it is. So I, don't, I wouldn't call them by their female pronouns. I would call them by their name. Remember, love always protects. Love always perseveres. Love rejoices in the truth. Back to Abigail Schreier. Here's what she says. I'm also often asked why it is that gender ideology activists are doing what they are doing. What possible justification could there be, for instance, for telling small boys that they might be girls and small girls that they might be boys? My best guess at an answer occurred to me while talking to detransitioners. I heard repeatedly from these young women that while they were transitioning, they were angry and politically radical. They often cut off relations with their families, having been coached to do so online by gender activists. Related to this, if you look, you'll notice a disproportionate number of gender-confused people among the ranks of Antifa in cities like Portland. In other words, chaos is the point. And these troubled girls become prey for those who seek to recruit revolutionaries. Just as the destructive objective of critical race theory is to divide Americans racially, uh, 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 that of gender ideology is to disrupt the formation of stable families, the building blocks of American life. Yes, I have a complete presentation on critical race theory on our YouTube channel. And uh, look, basically the bottom line to that is, 
Let's get rid of the bad racism by introducing new racism. That's basically the bottom line. No, we don't fight racism with more racism. And gender ideology is another problem that is being foisted on our young people largely through social media. So here is what Abigail Schreier says we should do about it. She says, how do we push back? First and foremost, we must oppose the indoctrination of children in gender ideology. There is no good reason for it, and it does real harm. We can absolutely insist that all children treat each other kindly without indoctrinating an entire generation in gender confusion. Second, we must overcome our squeamishness and speak the truth in public. Amen. Whenever we find ourselves, we must refuse to recite lies, and we must always clearly distinguish between transgender Americans, generally wonderful people, and the ideological transgender movement which seeks to warp children and weaken families. This is a movement that could turn our children against themselves because it advocates uh, because its advocates know there is no greater harm, no quicker way to bring America to its knees than by driving our children to do themselves irreversible damage. The people pushing this ideology have gotten a head start on us by perhaps a decade, but now I think they have awakened a sleeping giant. The success of my book, again, that book is called Irreversible Damage, is one indication. There may there are, uh, The many state legislatures that are now debating these issues is another. These are our kids and grandkids. Our future depends on our winning this fight. That's Abigail Schreier, ladies and gentlemen. Imprimis is the is the uh, newsletter that Hillsdale College puts out. You can find this online, Gender Ideology Run Amok. You should read the whole thing, send it around. We'll include a link to the article in the notes here on the website. You should get the book by Abigail Schreier, S-H-R-I-E-R. The book is called Irreversible Damage, The Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters. You can also start asking people these questions like, do you think your children should be able to make life-altering decisions without your consent? Or maybe to make it a little bit more personal, do you think a teacher should recruit your child to become sterile without your consent? What parent is going to say yes? Look, it's not the school's responsibility to teach kids about sexual identity, especially when they hide it, with their, when they hide it from their parents. These kids can't even read. They can't even do math. And yet our teachers are pushing woke ideology. Now, whenever you say this, you have to point out that there are, there are thousands of good teachers out there. Don't get, don't get me wrong. We know that. But those out there that are pushing this on young children, stop it. It's not your job and you're hurting people. You're hurting people. You think you're doing well, but you're not. This is not something a young person, not some decision a young person should make on their own without parental consent. In fact, it's not something a young person should make at all. Wait till you get through puberty. And then when you get through puberty, if you still have that problem, realize that even if you try in a futile attempt to change your biology, on average, you're still going to have the problem. You're still going to have regret or you're still going to have some sort of issue that is tragically driving people to a suicide rate 19 times higher than the general public. Ladies and gentlemen, the truth is love. If you don't get the truth out there to people, then you're allowing them to, to basically be in bondage to lies. Jesus said the truth will set you free. What does that imply? If you don't have the truth, you're in bondage. Bondage to what? Bondage to lies. Bondage to things that are going to drag you down. 
Thomas Sowell famously said, if you tell people the truth, you're helping them. If you're telling people what they want to hear, you're helping yourself. You need to tell people the truth in as loving a way as you can. Now, I've crammed all this in in a short podcast. I've been going really quick, uh, and I've stumbled over some words here because I wanted to get it all in, but I wanted to get you the truth so you have it. But look up Abigail Schreier. She's obviously brilliant in this area, and we can't ignore what's going on to our young people. And parents, you need to watch your kids on social media because they're being enticed into this. They're being lured and dragged away, as the Apostle James said. Lured and dragged away. Don't allow that to happen to your child, ladies and gentlemen. All right, it's been great being with you, even though it's a hard topic. I'm Frank Turek. Uh, Don't forget, going to be at the University of Kentucky and University of Louisville this Monday and Tuesday nights. Hope to see you there. It'll also be live live streamed. And don't forget, taking online courses from Southern Evangelical Seminary is the way to go. SES.edu. Check out SES.edu. That's where I went. Great place. See you here next week.